What happens when you combine the most innovative, eccentric and charismatic leaders, disruptors and founders from tech with the pedigree and history of one of the most established institutions within the City of London? Season four of the Searching for Mana podcast will be produced in partnership with the London Stock Exchange and will represent one of the most exciting collaborations in the tech space. Rip Bandorian, welcome on to the Searching for Mana show. Thank you very much, Lloyd. Really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, Ripsy has an incredible um, background, so really excited to talk through um, your journey, Ripsy, um, throughout the show. Um, currently the um, head of Plaid Europe, and we'll open up cutting around um, what that role encompasses. Just in real brief, um, Ripsy's background is um is a tick box of uh establishments uh, a harvard mba um <laughs> goldman's mckinsey apple and then really moving into which will make sense when we go through the journey you know moving from channels and marketplaces into um several years with booking.com as a very senior um vp and then of course back to uh head of plaid europe which is an absolute rocket ship so can't wait to go through that whole journey Ripsy, if you could um, be so kind to open up with, you know, what being the head of Plaid Europe uh, really entails right now? For me, with Plaid Europe, it's a number of things. There are relatively clear priorities. One is continuing to establish and grow our presence here. That is about making sure that we deliver the right um, products to the customers we already have, that we continue to attract new fintechs and apps that are able to use Plaid services today to be able to connect millions of users to fintech services that they provide um, and continuing to help and support the team as we, could, as we grow and scale. That's within Europe. And obviously with Plaid Europe being kind of uh, a part of a larger organization, I also play a pretty big role in making sure that our strategy continues to be aligned with that of Plaid overall and making sure that we continue to build what we call um, internally a transatlantic bridge. Oh, I love it. A transatlantic bridge. Um, Ripsy, how do you do that? So um, let's, let's go to... Um, how recently you joined Plaid and really so the audience could visualize what has the process been where you have obviously a mandate in Europe but of course as you say the transatlantic bridge there is so that there is a sync with the, um, the overall group what's the process been to get you to that I'm sure it's been challenging in some parts and very exciting too well, yeah, exactly. It is challenging and exciting at the same time. I and mean, actually, I don't think there's too many things that are exciting that aren't challenging. That's as an aside. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in a lot of ways, it's as somebody new coming into Plaid, but also somebody coming in new into the industry, it kind of requires learning on steroids in a lot of ways, because you're trying to understand the existing products in Europe which by definition, obviously, are different from those that we have in the US, given the regulatory nature of the markets in which we operate. Um, so you understand kind of the, the products here, you try to understand the customers here. In parallel, you actually need to have a relatively good understanding of the products in the US and the customer needs there, so that you can start thinking strategically and creatively where it makes sense to build a bridge because it's not a bridge to everywhere and it's not a bridge that needs to kind of connect every little part of it. It's only in places where it has maximum impact for the customer and for the business. And so kind of continuously being able to focus on that, that's very much where a big challenge has been. And what that entails is honestly um, lots of digging in and conversations and kind of curiosity of wanting to deeply understand how some things work to be able to then come up to a higher level and start connecting those dots. Love it. And that's one of the elements that clearly has been, um, you know, time consuming and rightly so since you joined. What have been the other um, things you've been focusing on? If we were to think about what a week for Ripsy has been like, talk us, talk us through one of yeah. those. Yeah, I think there's lots. Um, so there is one kind of like figuring these things out. Two is 
Um, you know, I, I, I very much kind of believe that leadership is a is a craft and is one that we continue to hone over time. And one of my fundamental beliefs in it is business is business, but in the end, it's humans that make business happen. Um, and so it's building those relationships. And for me, it's been very much about building those relationships within the team here in Europe, with our customers here, um, getting to know what motivates people, what would help them achieve the heights that they didn't even think that they could achieve um, in the context of that and how do we set up the right environment for it. So the organizational and the team culture and cohesion and kind of getting all of those pieces right has been a very big portion of my time to date and continues to be so, to be honest. Um, and then um, there is a a fair amount of time that I also spent with, um, with Zach, the founder, with many of the leaders of Plaid, which is what is the culture of Plaid and what makes Plaid such a special place? That then how do we make sure that we then create that culture here in Europe, but also make it fit in the context of the European markets in which we operate, because you're still operating in a slightly different number, right? So it's kind of like, how far do you push that flavor and how much are you the same and continuously playing that that yeah. balance? Um, it's very, very interesting to me in many different ways, but um, one to focus on um, in this question. Plaid has been such a success story. Um, you know, Zaki just mentioned one of the founders. What did the experience that guy had at a pretty early um, age in his entrepreneurial journey? And, you know, obviously what's underneath the iceberg was unbelievable intelligence and hard work. And technically, uh, you know, I followed a lot of the journey very early on. Like it was a real kind of set it up in the garage situation where they saw the market early. And then we were really fortunate to have um, Keith on the show maybe a couple of years ago um, from, from Plaid as well. At that point, clearly um, very successful in and around uh, a point of time where the valuation was, was huge, right? So at this point, Zach's already created something monumental. Now he's going into the realms of what can be, you know, a globally disruptive business right at the highest level. And he's getting to work with individuals like you, who obviously have come from, you know, some of the, the biggest organizations in the world. The question is this, what have you seen in the culture that for this next phase needs to change? Change. Um, you're giving me something to think about, but, I think as the business grows and matures, there's always this balance of how do you keep the agility and the speed and the scrappiness of the startup-like environment, but then enable fast decision-making in a larger organization. So what I've seen with organizations that have grown, the... Um, as the number of people grows, by definition, complexity grows. And so you end up having to have more process um, with more people. But there is always the like the, the risk of the pendulum swinging too far and I guess slowing it down too much. Um, and so, and I kind of think of Plaid as a bit of a teenager in that regard. You know, like when you're a teenager and you're running, you're running super fast, but it's all kind of like slightly uncoordinated. I mean, unless you're an athlete, but in any case, it's slightly uncoordinated, but you get there super fast. And I think of us as that teenager, like the values and the essence of the company that Zach and William and many others have created actually very much stays the same, but it's kind of how do we start behaving in that bigger sense? And so where process does make sense and where process doesn't make sense? Um, where, where are the places that you go faster and where are you, the places where actually maybe slower now makes us faster later because we're now a global business. So getting that decision, it requires kind of continuously different mental models for when you make those decisions and adjusting that continuously and expecting every leader to do that honestly and being aware of that. 
that is taking time. It's not a single answer to your question around culture, but I think it's, I also think many of the listeners can probably relate to this as we scale kind of, we all go through this journey um, as, as a business. Yes, and I think right now it's um, triply interesting because there have been cultural shifts due to macro environments, um, uh, you know, COVID being one of yeah. them, workforces being distributed. And so there's been a lot of flux going on in cultures. And there has also been, you know, a historical bull run up until the end of last year we're in. We're coming up into the, the end of 2022, but certainly up to the end of 2021, a lot of tech stocks had um, historically all-time high valuations. And so there's been, over the last several months, a big adjustment in the private markets as well. And so, you know, management philosophy has been changing. Cultures have been changing from what was really at the end of that very, very famous big tech, Google being probably the... Um, the poster child of canteen lunches, bean bags, um, which and many more things, and, and obviously an unbelievable platform. Um, so the mission of why somebody may well have gone and worked there, um, being relatively different to what that might look like moving forward in this next couple of years, given we're in a bear market, and you're seeing a lot of companies trying to make their staff more optimum, in preference to just there's a war for talent, let's go and get everybody. And so that's very interesting for me in the innings that you've come into Plaid as well, which, um, you know, just looks like a poster child of a rocket ship. Um, people would have, who were the brightest people on the planet, wanted to come there. I believe you guys are still in that unbelievable opportunity space. Some aren't, you guys still are. How has Zach and how have you thought about this and has anything had to from your observations coming in um these are hard questions to answer but that makes them interesting changing the culture from that teenager who got here as you just really eloquently explained still wanting to keep the agility but you know what got us here might not be exactly what gets us to the next thing so what do we need to refine into but is there anything in the culture that dramatically does need to change as well given everything i just um, kind of gave as a context I mean, I think like another context, which I think is really important, and this is something that's really attracted me to Plaid as well, is as I as I thought about various rocket ships, right? Uh, and there is ways to think about businesses. I really looked for a place that looked at building a generational business. And a generational business for me is one that endures good times and tough times. Um, and what's been actually incredibly attractive to me even before I joined is I heard Zach articulate very clearly that this is incredibly important to him as well. Like the way he thinks about the business, et cetera, et cetera, becomes like, it's, it's a holistic thing. It's the culture, it's the people, it's the lunches, but it's also is the business a viable business in a very long term? And what does that make it? And how does that like the longer term strategy? And so from a cultural perspective, I actually think that we're incredibly well set up to take on that next chapter. Yeah. It's actually like a, a teenager that grew up with the right context and therefore is kind of heading for the heading for the win. So it gives me the confidence. And it's probably not the answer that you were looking for. But as I kind of listen to you and reflect on the last few months, that's kind of where I'm landing. Um, and, and culturally, it's about kind of maintaining that hunger. And, but at the same time, the, the humility of going after this tremendous opportunity that is in front of us. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, strategically, we'll come to... And it's not a given. Sorry, I just interrupted you. But it's not a given that you get it. And I think that's where the hunger and the humility come into play together. And we'll strategically get to, you know, what your Zach um, and a few others vision is and why this is a generational business. Before we do that, because we're starting in the, the real now, um, you know, tactically, uh, let's do a few things. So let's just 
assume for any of the audience who don't understand exactly what you're up to as a business, if you could just explain, you know, elevator pitch, user case, and let's let's go through what's going on at Plaid with you right now. So the user case to start with, please. Yeah. Um, so imagine you are downloading an investments app. And in order to be able to connect that investment app to all of your finances that currently are most likely sitting with a with a bank, um, you need to connect those accounts. And not only do you need to connect that account, you also need to make sure that there is money in that account so that you can actually invest and be able to kind of benefit from the service that you have chosen already, right? Like, and, and so, and that is very much that journey that every user of fintech goes through today that is powered by Plaid and makes it effectively seamless for you as an end user, for you, Lloyd, if you've never downloaded an investments app, we just make it super easy for you. You don't have to submit any papers. You don't have to do anything. It's literally just a few clicks away. But it's also incredibly important for the investment app itself or the business that is behind it. Because that business itself, especially in today's world, is spending a lot of money on attracting users like you. And so for them, it's kind of how do you maximize the ROI? How do you make sure that every user that you've gotten to download the app actually completes that journey and gets to that first magic moment of getting their investment in, if you see what I'm trying to get at? And so... For them, that conversion is equally important. And kind of what makes Plaid very special in this specific use case, there's many, but in this specific use case, what makes Plaid very special is the interests are completely aligned. The interests for Plaid, for the customer or for the end user are completely aligned. And that is the kind of space that you want to continue to innovate in and make it better um, over, yeah, for every user. Thank you. So if, if we just took that into, I mean, you use, you're using me as an example there. I probably um, shouldn't have because you have many, but anyway. I appreciate it. Um, that's, that's my favorite type of example. Um, if, if we kind of added perhaps an even um, a, a further layer to that. So, so you, you're saying investment. Well, what do you mean by investment specifically? It could be an app where you could be, well, in a current environment, for instance, it's probably not so easy to be continuing to save for every user, given that the cost of living are going up. So do you have a little bit of money at the end of the month? Do you do it at the time you get your paycheck? Whatever it may be, but you put in bits of money into an app that allows you access to investments that maybe wouldn't have been available to you or would require kind of like a years of savings, et cetera, or talking to someone to do it. Yeah, and the technology where Plaid is coming in there, let's just think of one of those apps as being, you know, uh, a lot of fintechs have been on this show, a Revolut or a Monzo or a Starling, yeah. and they have a, an investment element to that that application where you might put, as you just said, you know, your 10, 100 or 1,000 pounds into some type of um, investment. The technology that's enabling that in that instance. is open banking. Yeah, exactly. It's open banking technology that's enabling that. Yeah. Um, and we've got customers like Shares, like Moneybox that are using Plat today to do exactly that. Yeah. Um, and what Plat does and kind of takes away the complexity for every developer that is building this app is connecting to all of the banks and making sure that this con like all of that is done effectively as simply as can be. So yeah. for the investment app itself, they don't have to connect to every bank and then make this connection on your behalf, Lloyd, because actually uh, Plaid has taken away all that complexity, abstract yes. way. So um, thank you. Yeah, I try and take it from like as if I had very little knowledge and then up to 7.5 mm -hmm. i'm getting i'm getting there now so um shares has been on um we had ben shamala on the uh podcast and uh very exciting um recent partnership with serena williams uh which is yes. super cool and they're really starting to to promote the business but um good traction there um so i'm going on to shares and so that shares don't have to have synced with the hundreds of banks 
cloud as an open banking solution is connecting with them. And then when you're talking about you guys are all on the same page incentive perspective wise, that's putting me in as the consumer into, into a situation where it's efficient. It's not like, well, I bank with NatWest, so this won't work now. Yes. So I can use um, the shares application and not really need to know about Plaid. And then shares into a brilliant situation because they can very quickly um, provide that um, way more efficient solution for me in this instance and you into a situation where, of course, you're providing that value. Okay, I love it. If we were to now break down the different categories of finance where you're providing the solution, we're talking about investment there. What other um, segments of finance does Plaid offer this solution for? Well, I mean, this works for um, any crypto exchanges, obviously, any fintech, any digital finance provider, to be honest, that is trying to onboard you, Lloyd, as a, as a customer. Um, for, for every one of them, this is uh, this is a perfect solution. And so the likes of Gemini, Kraken, like every one of these are using providers like us, in this case is us, um, to to onboard users into their solution. Um, and you know, I, I know that we're kind of like at the 7.5 level, but what is incredibly exciting about open banking, I think personally, um, is not only that it allows many end users or consumers to actually kind of adopt digital financial services relatively easily, um, but it's also kind of the opportunities that it creates, right? Like there's also lots of other opportunities that come with open banking in the UK and PSD2 in Europe that kind of create that space for innovation, which I personally find incredibly exciting. Now I'm getting into the nine out of 10. I, good. I realize good, good, that. Good. So. Well, you've leveled me up to somewhere around 7.5. A lot of our audience already sitting at nine. Um, I'm always trying to talk somewhere between a, a CEO who who manages a fintech and then my mum. These these are the people I have in my yeah. mind. Um, so now let's let's go to um, you know that that type of level of um, topic. So so what is that opportunity? Why why is open banking providing something even further additionally valuable for Lloyd in this situation? So I think, so accessing is one thing, but then another thing becomes, what, well, what about money movement? So you've done it once, you've downloaded the app, but if you want to be doing this on a repeated basis, can you set it up in a way that is completely seamless for you and allows you to be able to kind of manage it once and then go back to it and always be in control, not only of your data, but also how you move money and to whom you move money on a regular basis. So that's kind of one piece of the equation that is incredibly exciting. And kind of in a, a variable recurring payments is probably one that like I'm, I'm referring to here. There's also um, a huge opportunity that is very much on the horizon with account to account payments. Um, obviously, um, like the usage of account to account payments is continuing to grow and adoption is continuing to grow. And as users become more adept at moving money via um, open banking rails, it also allows them to do that in other circumstances as well, which then opens up even more um, even more opportunities. So that's kind of like where where my head is. And recently, um, we published this research about kind of like what is the what is the impact of open banking? Um, and we've mostly talked about consumers to date. So we've talked about Lloyd, but if we take Lloyd's business and look at a, a small business or a medium business and kind of the impact that it's having on those, it's, um, I think today it's one in two, which is the number of small businesses using open banking enabled services already, um, and continuing to grow. And it's, uh, I mean, like to me that that is a huge potential yeah absolutely um and if we're just thinking about the landscape you know i know that you're you're um competitive how could you not be with the career that you've had? <laughs> um you know it's not a given as you said there is you know agency that um the team at plaid need to take to carry on taking the opportunity talk us through the landscape you know competitively I think open banking is definitely a competitive environment in Europe. There is a number of players that are all innovating. 
And the way I think about it, and this was actually the point of view I had before I even came into the industry, and I, I still hang on to it, is the opportunity is nascent enough that we need all of us collaborating together to actually create the environment in which this innovation and the opportunity for kind of value creation continues to happen. Um, and perfect examples of, uh, of that are us collaborating with our competitors around open finance um, and kind of making sure that we work with policymakers and driving towards kind of broader adoption of open banking, leading more to open finance and opening up further, um, kind of creating that opportunity for innovation across more types of accounts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's at that phase. I, I completely agree. And I I, I uh, kind of riffed on what you've just said there, where I see that collaboration. I, I suspect in three to five years, that might start getting different. But right now... I think we're uh, early enough that there's just... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like the 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 vibe really that started in fintech and then, you know, in this segment, and also I I, I believe in Web3 as well, is, is an awareness of, you know, if we can get this right, that such brilliant value comes from it. You do see nice community effects. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I see a lot of the stuff that kind of Zach puts out narrative wise, and he's right on point there. It's clearly you are, so I love it. Um, okay, Ripsy, that gives the audience a really good um, vantage into, you know, what you and Plaid Europe and Plaid overall are up to right now. So let's move uh, into the bio section and get to understand everything about you. <laughs> um, if we could start with you um, setting the origin story um, and going back as far as possible to give us uh, a view of, um, you know, very early on your environment, please. Yeah, um, happy to. I think... I I generally kind of think of my life in three chapters, and I always joke that every ex-McKinsey consultant thinks of everything in threes, but um, but it really, I, I, for me, it really holds true. And so kind of that origin story is I'm your typical and atypical immigrant story. Um, I was born and raised in Armenia. Lots of things were changing around me. I saw political shifts that, you know, as a as a young child, I couldn't quite understand the 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 mega impact that they were going to have on my life or those around me, but you kind of sense it in the in the air around you that this is big and major. Um, and that's on one side. The second side is I, you know, I always loved um uh, numbers and kind of like yeah that that's the thing that kind of excited me as well and the third piece which is um I'm my mom was a single mom um and kind of she had decided early on that I should study English which was you know in those days in Armenia was like way ahead of time um and so I I got a job relatively early on in my teenage years working as an interpreter um, which kind of set me up on this journey of saying, I, I know the world is changing around me. I know there's a lot more out there and I cannot wait to experience it. So I guess like there is a lot in that origin story and there is a lot of kind of moments of determination and perseverance and grit that kind of comes growing up in that environment. But the, the the beginning of the next chapter is kind of that flight that I took yeah. from Armenia on the way to the US. Let's let's stay in the just the origin um, section just uh, just briefly. So um, of those three different elements, um, why do you think your mother was ahead of her time in thinking about the importance of language? What what do you think led to that? I think there was a couple of things. Um, one is, oh, I don't think I've actually ever shared this publicly. But um, so she obviously grew up in a former Soviet Union and but she was a huge jazz fan. So we always kind of had the um, the the music culture around us. And there was always this influence of English around us already. So that was one side. And I think she always kind of had that eye out. 
There is a second piece to her, and this is like, I think she looked around and she said, how do I maximize opportunities for my kid? Um, and this was a bet and a gamble that she took because it took a lot of kind of personal time and commitment for her to be able to give this opportunity to me. Um, and, and, she, so, and, was she, and was she teaching you then? No, 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 no. She didn't speak a word of English. Um, so she had to get a private teacher to teach me effectively. Um, but that she had to ferry me there, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's kind of where the commitment was. Um, and so there was this kind of cultural aspect. My um, grandfather had spent time in uh, Soviet concentration camps. So there was a lot of like our family had always had an eye out, but it never was the driving force. And I think for my mom, it was more, um, how do I create options? How do I create options for this kid that then she can do and make choices that kind of create a path for her? Um, and yeah, would have guessed. Unbelievable. Um, whilst that was going on at school, so this is different for everybody, but like, let's say, you know, one of the elements there is that you became engaged with numbers. Um, you're also... Um, learning uh, English as a language. So somewhere around probably, I don't know, but 11, 13, whatever that age for you was, you know, it's, it's starting to find out. I mean, for me personally, okay, I'm pretty bad at this thing. Maybe I'll work on this thing because I want to be good at it, but I'm bad at it. Again, quite naturally good at this. Um, you know, you're probably quite good with numbers. You've got, you've got language. But like, who were you in in school at that point were, were you introvert you know were you playing jazz like give us a little bit more color around yeah. that as well please um i think i was an introvert that wanted to be an extrovert um i danced i was athletic um but i also had the sense of in some ways, I also grew up in a Russian-speaking family and Armenia was going through a cultural change at the moment at that time as well. And so there was always this sense of a little bit of, I don't know that I fully fit in. So there were that 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 was kind of like one of the um the pieces of the teenage years. And and I remember actually at some point being like, but I don't want to study English anymore. Like I don't see why um good that I did obviously but but I think there was a moment of like how, why am I doing these things and how do I find kind of like who I am really how did how did you at that point where you thought you might step away from there being value in English stay on track I think probably the belief in the optionality that it created for me like I don't know that and this Pers is what personally you 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 thought that through, or was this where your mother would I'm sure be there's an element of a parent that comes in there, right? Like there, there's got to be that. And but there was in me, like there, like there was a period of time when life got so difficult that I was committed to making the most of what I had. Yeah. And it isn't, I couldn't have articulated this to you. There was no way I could have said it in Armenian, Russian, or English. It doesn't matter what language. But there was an element of there's got to be more to what I can do, that fundamental deep belief of there's more. The yeah. world is out there and there is more. And I think it's that that's where it clicked for me, where it just became this thing where I yeah, I went all in on this commitment to like, I wanted to study abroad. Yeah. This thing happened at that particular point in time. And then I, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, so fortunate to speak to so many people who, um, you know, leading in, in industry. And that moment happens very different times for everybody's journey, but typically it happens. And then from there, you've got that power to really, you know, whatever your natural abilities are, 
take it to 10 because any successful journey is going to take an awful lot of a bunch of things one of them will be resilience uh you know having this huge huge big picture that's so much of a dream that you'll uh you'll carry on and so you find yourself at this point having gone through that moment compelled to to go abroad and then this is a massive moment in your journey so could you talk talk to us about that as well please yeah um I mean I think kind of like I always think about what is the moment that kind of probably like there are there multiple s curves in our life and this is probably like one of those inflection points um and it's that flight I took a flight from Moscow on the way to the U.S. to study I had a scholarship at Brigham Young University I couldn't be more excited to be on my way but I um there are still moments when I remember like I deeply remember like physically remember what it felt like when you go through passport control and like I could see my mom and dad on the other side and I waved at them um and like my dad had flown in especially as well to like make sure that he could even say goodbye and I kind of like I just gone through I remember what that felt like it felt like the world was my oyster but at the same time like excuse me like, like oh shit um but there is no like at that point you don't like it's a, you've gone um and and you know there there have been other moments like that but that is probably one where I'm really glad I was 17 and not older because when, if I were older, I'd probably think of all the risks associated with it, et cetera, et cetera. But at that point, you're like, the world is my oyster. I'm just going for it. Um, and then I was all in. Like, you're that, you've committed and you're on. You're on board, as they say. Amazing. It's uh, necessary when you're creating to shed, shed a skin. And, you know, imagine that moment uh, for you as that. And then you, um, you know, in this amazing institute, what were you, what were you studying at that point? I was studying, so I arrived studying molecular biology. Um, it's, my, I come from a kind of, my, my mom was a doctor, my grandmother was a doctor, so I believed I should be a doctor as well. Um, and so I started studying molecular biology, but by chance, because it's the US and you do liberal education as yeah. well, I took an economics course my first semester. And I was like, oh, I like this thing. And so <laughs> I just kept taking courses along what the way. Do you, what do you remember um, liking particularly about it? I think it just clicked. Like, I remember thinking about, like, for the first time, seeing, like, demand curves, et cetera, et cetera, and just being like, this makes sense. Like, it just clicked in my brain. Yeah. But it also spoke to the quantitative part of yeah. me. And I was like, suddenly these things start making sense and they fall into place. Um, so and where so does where does that take you next? You start, you know, after really leaning into it and, and uh, feeling a connection. And I'm sure, you know, reading various books and publications, you start thinking about your career being uh, focused within finance, economics. Yeah, exactly. So I effectively kind of during my time at university, I um, refocused my career. I still graduated with molecular biology and econometrics, which is kind of where the yeah, numbers nice. and the math yeah. started coming in. That's um, very hot right now. You know, um, econometrics, uh, biology, the kind of machine learning and AI around that right now is one of the three massive sectors. It is. It's huge. I was like way ahead of my time. <laughs> there was no such thing as computational yeah. biology at the time. Yeah. But in any case, um, and so then I did my master's in statistics and effectively kind of pulled all of these pieces came together. And, you know, as as many things are like there's lots of small decisions that end up being big, but you just don't know they are. Um, and. I probably with the same belief and the same kind of like uh, chutzpa ended up applying for a job at investment banks coming out with my master's um, and landed a gig at Goldman. Um, had no idea what I was getting myself into, to be completely honest. Like, I didn't even own a suit. I, it just was so far outside of my league at the time. Um, but in a lot of ways, you know, the it happened to be a place that valued people with kind of the grit, the perseverance, the willingness to work hard, 
but also like we're open just with the ability to to learn um and kind of that chapter of my life is the chapter that I call sponge um and the reason I call it the sponge is because it just I took opportunities because they were learning opportunities I was curious I was excited the world continued to be my oyster um and in you know it's a good combination of hard work luck people you meet that in in the um in the sponge phase which I'm completely stealing off you that's amazing (laughs) um we give a lot of recommendations, you know, when people are looking where to go in their their careers. And I mean, it's, 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 it's very different for everybody, right? But certainly to say, you know, go and embrace the sponge phase is, is, is a great thing. So a good uh, line. I'm going to steal that. You were at um, Goldman's McKinsey. Um, specifically, what was, and, you know, kind of short, snappy questions here if possible, what was great and bad about Goldman's and great and bad about McKinsey? Great, super smart people, lots of opportunity, bad. I didn't see myself there. Why? It, it didn't click. What, what about it? I looked around, there was a, I actually remember this. I remember looking around one day and being like, I don't wanna be any one of the people that sit in the offices. I was on a trading floor. And and that's when I was like, then why should I work this hard if I don't want to be them? What was um, was it was it looking at who they were and represented in their ethics and values or and versus what yours were or what was it? Why didn't you want to be their peer group or aspire to be them? I've I've thought about this so much. I was lucky to have worked with lots of great people as well. Um, I Like I could see that I didn't want it, but I didn't know what I wanted instead, if you see what I mean, which actually dictated why I ended up going to business school in a lot of ways. I obviously did not write this on my essay, but um, I felt like I needed the space to think what I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and then at McKinsey, what was great Again, lots of learning, lots of really smart people, people that I aligned with culturally and um, what I didn't like was that I didn't get to make the decisions. Like I advised people, I helped people, but I wasn't accountable in the end. Mm. And I missed that accountability. And I have to say, like, I just... I mean, in so many ways, consider myself so lucky that today, like I have a job where I actually really, truly love what I do. Like I have the accountability piece. I get to solve amazing problems with amazing people at a time where the world around us is changing. So it's kind of like it took following my gut and intuition and what I was seeing around me to be able to land on the thing that honestly I didn't know existed when I came out of school yeah and so it's, um, it, it's hard to it's hard to clarify in the moment and actually often in reflection but um you know that instinct that you're talking about so important but the key being you've put yourself into a position absorb what you can you know the, these are premium environments there are bright people there's processes to learn but also make sure that you know the journey is trying to take you to where then you know the the whole kind of package comes yeah. together um in terms of um the move where you go to apple mm-hmm. you, you know at that point this is moving from finance to consulting to w- what is now the most valuable company on the planet but at that point um is really you know one of the five big big tech players um, what was that experience for you? Was that was that a moment where you thought, okay, this feels right, or was it not until you get to Booking.com where it's slightly more early and entrepreneurial? Which 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 one, and how was Apple? I think that move felt really right because I left consulting to go into a PNL role with a brand that I respected hugely at a time where I felt like it was a huge potential. 
Um, and like it was, uh, like, I mean, at that time, everyone could see that there was potential, but it wasn't a given yet, right? Yep. Like the app store was just starting. Like there were lots of early things still. Um, so that felt right. And then booking felt right after, meaning because when I joined booking, I joined booking with, you know, no team, build a product from scratch, see where it takes you in this completely entrepreneurial role. And so I had the experience at Apple to help me kickstart that. But there is a beauty that comes with building something from scratch and I have never forgotten what it feels like to track something on a whiteboard. Yeah. Like, that moment is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, probably the or one of the most glorified and potentially rightly so leaders of ever is Stephen Jobs. And the one of the things that for me is interesting here is very famously how he kind of ripped the Macintosh team separate to the overall organization mm -hmm. where he was really at the point of innovating and the organization needed him to do that. Um, that's in phase one and was able to get the Macintosh team to be incredibly productive, but the organization not so. And then in phase two, where he comes back, it felt like he managed to get the whole organization into sync. He'd learned various leadership skills. Maybe the technology was at the right time and a bunch of other stuff. So you're at Apple in a really interesting point, as you just say, where it wasn't the rock and roll success that we take for granted. I mean, it always blows my mind to think just how recently even the iPhone came out. You just think like that's been around almost my whole life. And uh, and it hasn't, you know, it's the success was just wild over a 10 year period. So uh, just because so interesting to me. So what phase exactly are you in at Apple? And actually what I would like you to talk to, which is very connected to what we're talking about with Plaid in this era where it's been a success, it's a rocket ship, but you guys want to have like a thread across the whole business of culture where it's still agile, but it's the next phase. Talk to us about that that phase with Apple where Steve is at the helm. Yeah. Um, so I joined after iPhone just immediately after iPad. So they exist, but they're babies. Wow. They're still early. Um, and I'm spending most of my time working in emerging markets. I mean, the thread in all of these things is that I do end up building stuff inside businesses. But um, so the phase from a business perspective, I think Apple hadn't fully cracked yet the platform. This piece that there are businesses and there are things that are going to be built on top that will continue to create value for those businesses as well as for the underlying platform, aka the App Store and many others. Like we'd had the iTunes and there were elements of it already. And obviously Steve, an amazing visionary who had all of these pieces in his head, um, but it hadn't kind of fully materialized to the extent that it was about to materialize. And there were a few things at the time when I remember at Apple, we were talking about, for instance, Apple competitors in the US versus in emerging markets. We were, at, uh, from a hardware perspective at the time, we were competing with Samsung quite heavily. And it wasn't clear how it was going to go in emerging markets and why. Um, and kind of building out that the, the, the holistic proposition in market and understanding the local differences and what matters to consumers, et cetera, et cetera became incredibly important. I mean, I ended up having to work on convincing people to also build apps. Like it's crazy today, like when you tell people you had to convince someone to build an app, it's just unheard of. But that's the beginning of the platform, right? Like you need to have both the supply and the demand side working together. And the vision that Steve had was that we would be able to jumpstart that in every market. And I think that's like, that's that time. And there were things that were working and there were things that weren't working. Um, but like as a whole, there was such a passion for what we were doing. There was just, and not a question that we would win. It was just more a matter of how. Amazing insights. And I feel like that 
is why you're so um you know ideal for the role that you've got because it you know plaid it feels like it's a similar-ish type of time and for open banking it's a similar type of time where when we look back it'll probably just be well obviously right of course but actually you know certainly it it doesn't feel like that uh at the moment you have to have the agency to push it through but you've learned you know what culture and belief can make that happen so it's really exciting we're going to go on to the um the searching for mana quick fire round now okay. ripsy uh, just before we do that because i don't actually have this question covered how um how has uh through so that's kind of the the journey um in work how how has life life been in parallel to that just so that we've got got some yeah, exactly i mean well uh, you know you're dancing you're playing jazz what's what's going on no i'm not dancing i'm not playing <laughs> jazz um I mean, the it's like the third chapter, you know, like the the professional third chapter is platforms, but the professional the parallel chapter is me becoming a a parent. We've got a seven and a five year old who keep me on my toes more than any platform challenge has ever kept me <laughs> on my toes. And you got a fresh you got a fresh whiteboard scenario again there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I and I continue to learn. But it and it's like for me, this has been an incredibly grounding period uh, as as a human as well, because it kind of you learn so much about yourself, the goods, the bads, the uglies, the wonderfuls. And but and that in a lot of ways is also what makes me me today. Um, and I can no longer separate those parts and I've come to the conclusion that there's not like a professional and a personal and uh and this other part it's it's all one I'm the human that I am today and because of all of these experiences that I've had and that's what makes me a better leader but that's very much a big chapter of who I am and so and that's probably part of the reason why I don't dance and jazz and all of the other things um what's just one parenting question yeah um I'm a four-year-old um, daughter, so you just you just think these things through, don't you? Um, but not about me. Your background, the story that made you is almost impossible to replicate with your children. The, you know, I mean, it sounds like you had the world's most incredible mother, um, but there were challenging scenarios and you kind of had that flight moment where as a young person, you went off to a different country and had so much grit and motivation from that, that journey you had. It's, it's probably not going to happen with your children, I assume. How are you thinking through already have kind of struck the balance of they've got a very different um, environment, but those traits have been so useful for you to be uh, successful in your career? So my husband and I talk about this lots so he comes from a very different background he grew up in northern italy in torino and um, kind of typical european middle-class family um and we talk a lot about like what makes it tick is just the values that are ingrained in us like deeply what are the things that we really care about and where we have landed and you know the, the thing with kids is you can't run and make the experiment so it's going to be what it's going to be <laughs> um what we've committed to is kind of like what are the sets of values that we feel so deeply around that we want to instill in our children and they are very much about kind of how do we treat humans how do we think about work that we focus on solving problems like there there are things and it's it was actually been incredibly gratifying is seeing my kids use those, like start to use them sometimes in, in different settings. And so while I worried about that a lot, that's question that you asked, where I'm landing to now is if the values are in place and if as a family you're consistent in the application of those values, you don't have to recreate the really difficult contextual environment and the, the perseverance, the grit, the willingness to have impact, 
they will come from other sources and maybe yes. they won't be to the same degree but they will come in a beautiful combination of its own yeah yeah well that's um that's good to hear and um uh really really super um on point with uh you know how i think about culture in different environments we've you know been very fortunate on the show to have people from absolutely every walk of life and there's no one path that can make you have you know forget how successful it is a fulfilling career where there's creativity and there's connection with the the mission and the purpose i think that's probably the same with family as well isn't it if there's relatively you know clear ethics and values that um that run through um amazing so let's go through the monoround so relatively quick fire questions but um, Ripsy, you know, feel to go into as much detail as you care on any of them. Um, in terms of uh, message that you would put onto the front cover of whatever publications really dear to you, something like The Economist, perhaps, Forbes, um, I don't know what your favorite publication is. You go on. Well, I mean, I, I read lots of the economy. We can say the economist, but I, yeah. What would you put on the front cover of the economist? I think the power of choice. Um, and the reason for that is I, I, I've grown up in an environment like early on in my childhood, there was less choice. And I've seen the limiting effect that can have. Um, I, I I see that the power of choice can unleash creativity and areas like combining economics and molecular biology would have never happened had I gone to university back in Armenia where you study one subject. That's how it is. Um, but it's also, I've seen it confirmed, like I've had the pleasure of working in e-commerce and running experiments and seeing what the power of choice does to consumers. And I see how it gives confidence to my kids when I give them choices and they learn how to make those choices and they understand the implications. So, and I'm like, and then there are also political applications of this, et cetera, but I don't want to go there. It's like, so for me, the power of choice is- Yeah, I love it. It's tremendous. That's amazing. What is currently keeping you up at night? Not much. I'm actually like, but not because I don't think about things. I think we are at a very special time in our generation. And I think about that a lot. Um, I think a lot about the political situation around us, the cost of living crisis, like what does this do in the long term? I think about the opportunities that creates for our businesses. Um, so there's a lot of that. But the reason it doesn't keep me awake at night is I deeply care about that context. And then I go quickly to what are what are the things that are within our control and what is it that we as individuals, as a business, as a community, as a as a community can do. Thank you. Um love to know what type of rituals in the morning perhaps you have, anything that gives you the right mindset, um, gets you kind of energized or whatever it might be for you, please. Yeah, I, um, as a working parent and as a working mom, probably had to learn the hard way how important it is to take care of yourself. And so I kind of um, would get up in the morning and there's kids and there's breakfast, get them to school, et cetera, et cetera, work, blah, 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 blah. And then the workout and all of these other things would be in the evening and you're just too tired. Um, and so I got into this habit actually during COVID is where I would get up before the kids um, and I'd work out and then I'd start making their lunch boxes. Um, and that, that I value that time tremendously. So I get up, I work out. It's a different type of workout than I would do normally, or I, I go for a run if I can. Um, but that is a very special time. And it also gives me the sense of taking care of me before the rest. Um, yeah. And it really, yeah. 
it's done lots of good. Do you have any particular type of mantra or saying that's really important to you that you come back to? Everything a motto or an affirmation, etc. No, I don't really use affirmations, to be honest. I mean, I do often say to the kids and to myself, everything is possible and we solve problems. These are things that just I, I find myself repeating over and yeah. over. Yeah. Um, yeah, really strong. Anything that goes in and hits the old chimp is then getting <laughs> diffracted yeah. back in essence with a growth mindset. I love it. Um, is there a book? Um, and again, if it's, um, you know, short form, long form, podcast, whatever it might be that you'd like to recommend to the audience and feel free to choose one or two. Mm. One of the things that I've done, again, this is like the the post-COVID um, is I've started reading paper books again. I had gone back to reading Kindle and then I've gone back to reading paper books and I do about 15 minutes before I go to bed of nonfiction. Um, and so one of the ones that I've read this year that I've absolutely loved was the, the Magic Circle. No, The Great Circle, sorry. The Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. Um, and it's about a, a woman at the turn of the 20th century who sees a pilot and realizes that her dream is to be a pilot. And then she becomes a pilot and then she tries to uh, fly around around the globe. Um, is an amazing like the prose is amazing, the story is entertaining. Um, yeah, it's great. It's it's wonderful. It's great reading paperback. Um, for, for me, I've come back to it recently, uh, um, and it just makes me go to sleep. Um, you know that you're not looking at a screen. I know the Kindle's got a better screen than than you know an iPhone, let's say, but I just. I just um, find how exhausted I am. So if I'm not, you know, I might I might read um, for however long it might be, but more often than not, within five to ten minutes, minutes you're out. Oh exactly. my god, I need to I need to go to sleep. And choosing something that's you know not a business book or, or, or got you know too much type of um, you know learning behind it, I really started to enjoy myself yeah. as well. Great. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. That sounds uh, that sounds fantastic. Um, and, you know, to finish the, the round off on the searching uh, for Mana show. So Mana is your magic, um, your superpower. What, Ripsy, is your Mana? Oh, God. I should have been prepared for this one. <laughs> um, connecting dots. And I say that because it goes beyond listening. It goes, it's like, it's, you, like it requires a huge amount of empathy and you have to understand it to be able to connect it. Um, and I, I love it when I'm in the flow and I get to do that. Like that, 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 that just gives me lots of joy. And it makes complete sense in terms of your career and what you're doing. Um, I love it. Um, who would be your um, recommendation for a dream guest to come on the Searching for Mana show? Ooh. A dream guest. There are so many. Oh, gosh. Um, you get Tim Cook. That would be amazing. Yes. <laughs> if, so if, you, if you can, uh, if you can hook us up, then uh, we, will, we will let him on. Um, if, I mean, obviously, there's so much innovation that is happening at Apple, and um, and and there were so many questions about him taking over from an iconic figure like Steve. Um, yeah, I I I think there are some really amazing conversations to be had. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to try and find his mana as well, because I mean, you know, unbelievable challenge that he's taken on and you know, pretty much every way been monumentally successful. But, uh, you know, from that kind of 
relatively conservative external persona, it'd be nice to get under the skin and understand all the fire that he brings, because I know he does, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that would be amazing. Um, okay, so just lastly, wanted to, because we've spent a lot of your precious time, let you finish really and rift on what the Hollywood version for, um, for, for you know, Zach and you and Plaid would be. Yeah, I mean, I think the Hollywood version for me is really truly comes down to the mission, which is what originally attracted me to Plaid. And it is unlocking financial freedom for everyone. Um, and when we've achieved that mission, which is that every person has access to every financial service that they want and that they need to run their lives efficiently. And when that complexity goes away from them, that I think is the, that's when we know you're there. Do you see what I mean? That is like when the music starts coming in. Well, we should outro this, Ollie, who produce it, put some jazz on at that moment. And then I love it because that's bringing together what you would put on the front of The Economist, which is having, you know, available options and the positive outcomes that come from that. And then also your super power, your mana, which is connecting the dots. So I love it. I can understand why that mission is just so uh, amazingly exciting for you, Ripsy. Thank you so much for coming on the Searching for Mana show. Um, Super, super uh kind of journey that you've taken and congratulations on all your success today i know you're not going to stop here so we will uh watch with great attention the uh the next phase thank you very much lloyd it's uh been a pleasure to yeah to have this conversation really enjoyed it thank you